listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I am your host, Heather Osgood, and joining me on today's program is Todd Cochran. Now, Todd is the CEO of Blueberry, and he is also a Podcast Hall of Famer. He's been in the industry for over 17 years, definitely one of the OGs in the industry. So I'm excited to have Todd on the program today. Todd, welcome to the show. Heather, thanks for having me. And yes, uh, OG may be better described as old curmudgeon, but yes, it definitely <laughs> one of the older ones in podcasting. You, yeah, you, you definitely have been in the industry. You're also the host of the new media show uh, with Rob Greenlee, and that's a weekly podcast that you guys have been doing for quite a while now, right? Yeah, over 10 years. We just uh, hit over 500 episodes on that recently. Congratulations. That's awesome. So one of the things I didn't realize about you, Todd, and I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and discovered this, is that you have been in podcasting for 17 years, but it looks to me like you've been in in the Navy in some form for over 34 years. So that actually is where you had been, it looks like, originally. Yeah, it was actually 25 years active service, uh, and I retired in 2007, but then I did a variety of better work along with building Blueberry for about 10 years. And so, yeah, it's, I guess, totally 35 with some sort of alignment one way or the other with the Navy. Wow. And did, did you end up in podcasting because of what you were doing in the Navy? Well, it was interesting. In 2004, I was hurt in a non-combat accident, which grounded me. And I was not able, you know, when you're broke in the military, they really have high scrutiny on you. What are you going to do for me now? And I had a broken back and was living in a clamshell. And I heard uh, from one of my team members, they were looking for people to manage contracts on aircraft rebuilds in Waco, Texas. And I was like, I can do that. And I was sent out to Waco during my recovery. And so I was in Waco in literally October of 2004 and hanging out in my hotel room because it's too hot to go outside in a, you know, wearing one of those clamshells to keep your back straight. And I heard about podcasting. My actual podcast was born in Waco, Texas, off I-35. It's kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. What a I, trip. So you really just were looking for something to do, and you came across podcasting. Yeah. In, in more than anything else, I was stuck in a room on my laptop. And uh, so I was just kind of consuming content. And I'd been online for a number of years before that doing other things. But it really kind of resonated with me. And I have the gift of gab. So I thought this would be a perfect opportunity. As a horrible blogger, horrible. So the audio space seemed to work for me very well. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about Blueberry if someone's listening who is unaware of the company. Yeah, Blueberry is a full service podcasting company. We really have just about everything for a podcaster that one would need monetization, stats. We have probably most known for our PowerPress plugin for WordPress, allows people to power their podcast on their own.com and used us for hosting or potentially someone else, but we hope they use us. But we're well known for our stats, of course, that we were one of the first companies in the space that launched podcast statistics back in 2006, a long, long time ago. But uh, yeah, long history with the company. We've also done the advertising piece quite a bit. We don't do that as much anymore, but we're about ready to launch uh, programmatic advertising for all our podcasters in the next couple of weeks. 
Mm -hmm. That's great. So when you in 2006 were looking at wanting to bring more statistics to podcasting, I'm guessing at that time, there probably weren't a whole lot. Where did you start with statistics? Well, in the, in the very early days in 2005, I was, I signed a deal with GoDaddy as one of the early, I don't know if it was the first, but it was one of the early advertising deals. And we really needed a way to measure. And I had formed a tech network in early 05. And one of the guys was able to write a parser for log files. And it really was truly just a pure parser that really didn't filter or anything. So we all were excited because we all thought we had 40 or 50,000 downloads and it was it was probably more like 10,000 because there was a lot of junk in there. And so ultimately when we started the company in late 05 and we were really off the bat doing purely advertising stuff with a variety of vendors, even those early days, putting four or 500 shows on ad buys because there was no big shows. Everything was small at that point. Uh, really needed a way to measure because you know the argument that today is really isn't about accuracy, but really then those days it really was. So my CIO, I said, I don't care what the number is. As long as we know what the number is, let's build something to measure. And that was the goal. And we did. And we, we basically came up with the uh, platform and the logarithm to get rid of all the junk. And, you know, even in those days, there was a lot of people trying to commit fraud. So there was a lot of work that went into that. And we uh, launched that in 2006. It was a huge, huge, huge hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So I'm curious, you have been in this space for so long. And a lot of times when I have guests on the show, I'll say like, what has changed in the industry? But I think that so much has changed in the last 17 years. It would be, you know, probably difficult to sit here and list all of them. So I'm curious, looking back at the growth in the industry, and you know, I think that we really I think have hit um, a, a mile marker by passing the $1 billion in ad revenue mark. That's something that I think is an industry we've all really wanted mm -hmm. to see that happen. And so it's neat that that did happen. But when you look back at the things that have changed, can you think of maybe one or two things that surprised you that maybe you didn't see it coming or you wouldn't have predicted it would have happened the way it did? I think the first surprise was and we barely survived it as a company was, well, I don't say barely, we reacted quickly. But what happened was, is in the early days, again, we were doing buys on shows really, really wide. And then six, seven, 2008, nine, a lot of big shows started to come on the market like Adam Carolla and some others. And that money from that advertising that was being spent in those smaller shows, just, I mean, it, it kind of, did this gradual fold right back and it came out of the small shows and went all into the big shows and that money really never came back for the small shows even today in the volume that we were running even back then we were doing three four million dollars a quarter in small shows uh and now shows that are under ten thousand downloads or ten thousand plays per episodes they have find it very very difficult to find advertising so the surprise is number one, it rolled up and it never rolled back. And number two was a realization and maybe that wasn't necessarily a surprise, but the early days you had to be pretty geeky to even put a podcast out because tools were just not at all sophisticated. And now today we're at a point where, and I think this is 
good in that we have the most diverse set of creators that I could ever have hoped for. Women are leading creating new content. They are creating more new shows than than men. Women of color are definitely right. I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, right now women are leading the pack in, in new content creation, at least according to my internal data from the, you know, the scope of stuff we get to see. So for me, we've known for many, many years that be kind of honest with you, there was not a good diversity in content. If we go back 10 years, it was not at all diverse. Five years ago, it got better. And now I think uh, I'm pretty excited about where the space is because truly what we've allowed or what has developed is we've given everyone the ability to have a voice. And regardless of who you host with, there's opportunities now to come on and create content and have your voice heard. So underrepresented groups are now using podcasting as a way to get their voice out, whereas they could never do that via mainstream media because of whatever reason that was geopolitical wise. So I think that from my personal stance, I'm most proud that the space has really remained open and anyone can create content. I think that's to me is remarkable and that we're one of the last freestanding platforms where anyone can create content and you don't have to ask anybody to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. So what you're saying then are maybe some of the things that have surprised you most. And I know you and I have talked about this before, but that it, it is really fascinating to me that all of this ad revenue did go to the top and that it yep. hasn't come back. And I truthfully, I don't see that that is going to change at any time. I, I don't think so. I have conversations on a very regular basis about trying to aggregate shows. And I, I think that smaller shows always feel like maybe that's the solution. Well, you know, I've tried to be hardcore at times with media buyers saying, here's a list of 50 and they still want to cherry pick the top three. And I say, no, you have to take off 50. And they say, no, we don't want them. And, and it blows my mind. And to be honest with you, no amount of headbanging against the wall has made me get, has made media buyers understand that smaller shows have much higher engagement than bigger shows. The audiences are much more loyal. They're much more willing to try a product or service because they support the podcaster. In the early days, no one got a separate promo code for a ad deal that was from a direct response. We put the same promo code in, in 500 shows for the same quarter and renewed quarter after quarter after quarter and did well with a whole variety of shows. So yeah, the mindset has changed because I think a lot of it is uh, they don't want to go to their boss and say, here's... 47 shows and they're like, who's that? They want the top three out of that list that maybe has a little name recognition. And here's the crazy part, non-duplicative audience. So they're missing huge, they're missing millions of potential new listeners to a product or service that they probably would get some, some movement on. Yeah. It's so interesting for you to say that because I just... I feel like we have done the same thing and I frequently have networks come to us and say, Hey, we're smaller. Like, can't you just aggregate our shows? Can't you just put them all together and sell them as a package? And 
I want to say yes, but it just really hasn't worked for us. I always hate to say this, but in terms of my own personal prediction, I do think that smaller shows are going to continue to struggle with monetization from host red ads. Yeah. I know you mentioned obviously that Blueberry was going to be launching your programmatic side and Certainly my prediction is that those smaller shows are going to be monetized through programmatic ads because at that point, there isn't that discernment of the buyer going through the list saying, I want this one, I don't want that one, I want this one. They're just buying the demographics of a person. So I think that's the solution. You also obviously mentioned the diversity and that has been so nice to see. Did you predict that we would have more diversity? Uh, I think we worked at it. And I think we worked at it to make it easier and to, you know, and to try to attract people. I think that as the medium grew up and different events happened, there was obviously sets of milestones. The introduction of uh, podcasting into iTunes in 2005, that was a big inflection point. The introduction of the iPhone, another inflection point. The introduction of the podcast app on the iPhone as a as delivered when you bought it as an inflection point. So there was a series of inflection points where we built this awareness about the space where tech, business, and comedy shows then gave way to education, culture, arts, a variety of different categories that didn't require you to be a geek. And I think that that has helped the space and that we've made it easier for people to create content. But I think part of it in the beginning was really awareness. And then there was lots of groups out there that have been advocating uh, She Podcasts. That group is, you know, works hard to get women to put their own shows out and build their voice. And so there's been a number of things that have happened that women like you in the space have led the way in helping other women come in to create content and say, I can do it too. And I, I think that uh, that's probably one of the most, you know, most exciting. You know, there was a, I've told this story several times. I was down at Dragon Con in Atlanta and actually Rob was with me and we were sitting in the back of the room and there was a diversity panel going on and I was just keep my mouth shut. And what the, the example was, is they had, this group largely was uh, from the Atlanta area and they had done a protest locally about some cause and when the news crew showed up, they didn't talk to the organizers themselves. They went and talked to somebody on the side of the street. And that group was so incensed that the media wouldn't cover them directly. They said, we have to have a way to get our message out. So they turned to podcasting as a way to control their message, get their voice heard, build their own social platform around that, build their cause. And when I kind of heard that, this is probably three, maybe four years ago. When I heard that, I'm like, we have arrived. Mm. This is what at core podcasting is all about is again, giving voices to those that may not have a voice and allowing people to have something to say what they, you know, to tell their story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. And that's why it's such a great medium. And it is, you know, I think I started a podcast that didn't last for very long in 2015. And it wasn't, difficult, I would say, like to start it. But I think that it's just gotten easier and easier. You know, every year it's it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's pretty easy. Just go on YouTube and you can watch a video. You could have a podcast in a few minutes or there there's definitely some options out there. So 
I'm curious, um, what have you, what did you predict would happen that actually came true? And I know we've been talking about diversity and it sounds like you had kind sure. of predicted there would be some diversity, but is there anything else that you said, I really think this is going to happen and it actually did happen? Well, I think we've known that at some point the big corporates would jump in and we didn't know when. And really Spotify and others kicked off a lot of those big corporate acquisitions and spending, you know, big, big money to, to, to the space. And I think that's helped. And at the same time, maybe made some independence kind of concerned. But I think when this type of activity happens, then all ships rise together and the space grows. So I think we knew at some point the big money would arrive. We always used to laugh, though, because podcasting is dead one year. It's on the rise the next. And it was, was kind of like a roller coaster up and down with press coverage. But we've been quite a run here for a number of years now where no one in the press saying podcast is waning. So I think what we did predict is that there would be a continued steady climb of the, the space. Now, the pandemic definitely caused a ping upwards where people had nothing else to do because they weren't doing soccer and gymnastics and all those other things in life. And they added shows or started creating shows. But I think what we've seen is since people are starting to get back to normal life again, we've seen that ping kind of come down. So there was definitely a blip during the pandemic. No one could have predicted that. An upward blip, by the way. And would you say that was like an upward blip from a like a creator's perspective, yeah. people creating shows or from listenership or both? Creator standpoint, and also the listenership has just continued to steady. You know, I could probably just take a ruler, a three foot ruler, and just, you know, draw a straight line that, that shows growth. And obviously, it's not exactly that, but definitely listener growth has grown, especially overseas, mm. outside of English speaking countries. You know, Canada, UK has been always big. France has actually been in there quite a bit. But now we see a rise in. Brazil, a huge Portuguese podcast, and we see stuff coming out of Asia now. So podcasting is now taking on its own life form outside the United States. Even in India, we're seeing a big growth of, I believe it or not, English-speaking podcasts that are kicking off over there. They're doing well, and some in Hindi too. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I know that at events, I have heard you talk about a longtime advertiser that you have had and I just think that it's a really interesting story. And yeah, I was hoping that you could share a little bit about some of the things that you have done with this particular advertiser and, you know, where the successes have been. Yeah. So um, GoDaddy approached me in 2005. Chris Redlinger was her name. She's now retired from GoDaddy, but she sent me an email saying, hey, we're interested in advertising in your podcast. And I had talked some smack on my tech show about them a few months earlier. So I said, you better go review this before you, if you decide you want to advertise. And they said, yeah, we still do. And we really didn't know what, to, how much to charge or anything. And so that first to go around, I set a number. It was basically what I was paying to keep my show online. And, and after the end of that month, they came back, said he went to renew for a year. And they told me how the performance was. It was incredible. I went back and did the math and then went back to him with a counter proposal for a new rate. And there's a whole story there, how that evolved, but really the relationship I have had with GoDaddy to this day, they're still the primary sponsor of my tech show is it's purely performance-based. I have to meet X number of numbers every month. And if we don't, and it's a couple of months in a row, we don't hit those numbers, we have the conversation and we change things up. 
But that advertiser in the early days, their founder did some things that really made it difficult. If you go back and search the history on GoDaddy's founder, um, there were some things that he did in maybe 10 years ago that would have been, you know, probably would have put the company under today. And the way things are exploded when people do stupid things. So it was kind of tough. And finally, they figured it out. And Danica raced for them for a number of years, but it kind of their GoDaddy ads were kind of, well, they were, you know, a lot of women thought they were pretty sexist. And GoDaddy had to change their style or change their corporate structure. And I watched that happen. And having had discussions with them, hey, you're making my, the women listen to my show uncomfortable. So, and they had seen that from their own demographics and information they were getting back forth. And they transformed the company. I watched that transformation happen over maybe 12 to 18 months. And they completely rebanded the platform and got rid of the things that were, frankly, pissing off women. And now the relationship is such that while I've changed reps a few times, it's purely a performance-based thing. I have to make my numbers. But that relationship's been good in that. I've learned a few things about a longtime sponsor. We have a dedicated landing page for them. The ads, I try to vary them a little bit, but really the key is I have to keep new listeners coming into the show to convert. So that has built a whole mechanism and where I have active blogging team on my tech show that blog that feeds the Google search engine to drive traffic to the website, which then drives a small number of new listeners every month so the website gets between 20 and 200,000 hits a day based on Google search traffic because there's 15,000 articles on the website. So, and of those 1,600 of our podcast episodes, but the, the content is what drives people in. And so I've used my website purely as a listener acquisition. It's my listener acquisition funnel. And enough people that come to the website, subscribe to the show, enough new people hearing the ad, enough new people responding that here we are 16 plus years later and they are still writing me a check. I think that that's such a fascinating story because I do think that there can be diminishing returns with an advertiser. And one of the things that you said that I think is really key is that you do need to get new listeners, right? Because every listener that's interested in the product, if they really are interested, they're going to buy it. And then once your audience has purchased the product, then who is going to buy it? So if you don't have new listeners coming in, they're not going to be able to purchase. And I would say that it's not uncommon in my experience for advertisers to do really well for a year, sometimes two years, But then we definitely do get to a place where the advertiser will say, gosh, we're just not getting the same kind of results that we used to get. And my thought always is like, well, yeah, you probably have just saturated that audience, right? Mm -hmm. They've all bought that health insurance you were selling or whatever the life insurance. And so now we're going to need to move on to someone else. So really one of the most important, I think, statements that you made in, in describing that advertiser it, you know, obviously the job is to keep the advertiser happy, but the advertiser is kept happy when they get those conversions and they're going to get those conversions by adding to the audience. I think that that piece can be the missing link for a lot of hosts. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. If I didn't have a new bevy of listeners, because 
Here's the even thing. I only get credit for new customers. When an existing customer comes back and renews and uses them on my promo code, I don't get paid for that. I only get paid and actually my performance purely based on new customers. So I look at the report. I know what it is, you know, and I say, oh, we're a little under this month, a little over next month. There's some months we know that are kind of slow. June, July, August are always tough months. So it's like I have to put in extra effort and tell those new listeners, hey, go use that promo code, share with your friends, share with your family member. It's worked. How long is it going to continue to work? I can only knock on wood because they could call me any day and say, okay, Todd, thank you. We've loved the relationship, but this is, you know, but I think the key is, is performance. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of podcasters often take advertisers for granted. Oh, they're going to advertise on my show. Uh, me, I'm like this, that, that you've suddenly become my best friend because you're putting money in my pocket that allows me to pay for food, dinner, rent, those things. And I take those relationships very seriously. And I think sometimes podcasters take those advertiser relationships for granted. I believe I owe them the best performance I can give them to make sure that the ad performs well. Yeah. I love that you say that. I do think that oftentimes hosts do take advertisers for granted. And I also think that hosts aren't always super aware of how to take care of an advertiser. So I know at True Native, we try to spend time educating our hosts on what does it look like to create a good campaign. And, you know, the way I think about it is if you're really passionate about a topic, like you had discussed that organization that felt like they were being overlooked by the media, so they turned to podcasting, right? Mm -hmm. That's an organization that's really passionate about their cause. They're really passionate about getting their message out there. And they don't know the first thing about advertising, right? They don't know the first thing about marketing. And then I think the downside of host read ads is then we hand them talking points and we say, hey, create a great ad. Well, they don't know how to create a great right. ad and they don't know how to take care of their advertisers. And so really at the end of the day, it does come down to the partnership that you're building with the organization. Um, and really even like the fact that you have been able to be honest with GoDaddy, right? When they were going through a rough patch and you were getting negative feedback, being able to go to that advertiser and say like, gosh, this is my feedback for you. I think you should know that's going to help them create a better organization. And ultimately it's going to service you. So if, if you aren't as a host, if you're not all in on the sponsor that you have, then you've got the wrong sponsor and you really should be able to get behind the company that you're promoting. And you also really have to believe that your ad is of value to your audience. Absolutely. And I think that's an issue that that I see happen a lot is that hosts really almost like they want to apologize for advertisers mm -hmm. or almost like they're bothered by them. And I think- You can smell that as a listener. You can smell it. Yep. You can. Yep. And that's a weird word to use, smell, but it really is. And I, mm -hmm. But if I've gotten ad deals that come in, I've kind of looked at the ad deal. I'm like, uh, you know, get that- you know, the hair kind of stands on the back of your neck. You're like, uh, you know, and I'm like, I don't think I want to work with you, you know, because number one, I don't want to put this in front of my podcasters because they're saying, Todd, that is icky. I have to put my audience, you know, I think, will my audience like this or do they think I'm trying to scam them? 
I think you have to, again, truly be behind the advertiser. And going back to the feedback, most time you're going through a media buyer, you don't have direct access to the company. True. Um, I was lucky enough that I actually had a direct link to the office of the president. So when I had issues, I didn't, they didn't go to my rep. They went straight to the head of the office and they got the full brunt of the customer's issue or the listener's issue. So they were like getting that in there. They're saying, okay, Todd is hearing this <laughs> from our potential customers and they're not using our product because of this. We have to change. What great feedback. I mean, that in and of itself seems like great value. Yeah. And I think that was why the relationship really, really worked well. And I'd held no punches. And one of the things that the founder did at one time involved an elephant. Now I'll just leave it at that. I had no, I did not mince words. I did not mince words on what he had done. And I could have cost me the sponsorship, but that was the type of relationship we had that I could be very, very honest and talk to my audience about it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you've been in the industry for 17 years. You've had the sponsor for 10 years. You've got a direct connection to the president's office. These aren't things that the average host really is going to have. No, that's true. So tell me, do you think that those sorts of advertiser relationships still exist out there? I think if you... How those happen is usually if somebody's listening to your show that's with that organization and they say, oh my goodness, I love this show. We need to be on this. We need to advertise it. I think that's where you get that type of sponsor relationship. If someone's listening from company X and they go to the market and say, I've heard this podcast. We need to be advertising on that. That's where I think direct, it, that's where the direct contact happens. Sometimes you get passed over to an agency, but usually those types of discoveries lead to great relationships. Um, not always, but we had a sponsorship that went sideways. We had Citrix go to meeting was had a, we had a direct relationship with the company. It got to a certain point. They handed it over to the media company. The first media company was great. The performance continued to be good. It must be, they weren't happy complete with the media company. They hired a new one and things went south. Mm. I mean, it went south in a hurry. Um, so I think sometimes the media companies can get in the way and actually cause more problems than if you had a direct relationship with a company, but it just, in this day and age, a lot of companies don't want to deal with the hassles. So they hire someone to do that for them. Mm -hmm. I think that that, that happens all the time. And especially when you get to that level of organization, right? If you're dealing with more of a mid-level organization, it's not uncommon for for us to deal directly with maybe the CMO. And mm -hmm. sometimes we even will deal with the business owner, although I would say that's that's fairly rare. Um, most of the time we're dealing with someone in the marketing department, but the bigger the company, the more chances you're gonna have that there is gonna be an agency or someone that's right. in the middle. And it is harder um, to understand when, you, when you've got that, you know, you've got layers of people and sometimes there can be several layers between mm -hmm. the advertiser and the podcaster. Yep. It's harder, I think, to create that bond. And so as a host, I just think it's really important for you to go out of your way to really talk about the impact that a product has had on your personal life. Really pulling in that piece, I think is the difference between a successful campaign and one that maybe isn't gonna resonate with your audience because 
people want to buy products that they think you, the host, like. And if you really talk about it in a genuine way, they're more likely, I think, to purchase it. And even though you may not have a relationship with the company, they're listening. Someone in that company is going through that ad, going and doing spot checking. And if you knock one out of the ballpark, they're going to go, wow, listen to this show. And you may make it on a list that will make it to somewhere higher in the hierarchy as here's a success. On the opposite token, you don't want to be the person that gets the phone call from me or you saying, hey, we got a problem and you're causing a problem. And this is why you're causing a problem and you're canceled. You don't want to get that call. I've done those calls. And when someone gets, when a podcaster gets that call, they get, they're off the list. I don't care how good they are. If they've caused me an issue with an advertiser, they're going to, it's going to take a long time for them to get back in my trust to be back on deals. So for the podcasters listening to this, take care of your advertisers because you're going to take care of Heather and you're going to take care of her relationships and not cause problems. And when, and when they call and ask for a make good, guess what I do? I give them a make good because I want them to sign another contract next quarter. Right, right, absolutely. So tell us, what is your definition of taking care of an advertiser? What do you think that we really need to do? Be honest. If you love the product, you can promote the product. If you don't like the product, don't take the ad deal. You have to like the product. You have to you like use it. If you're just promoting a product and you're not using it, again, the audience can smell that. You And you don't have stories to tell. And how are you using the product or service? You can't, you can't come up with real life stories to help that copy, to help those talking points make that listener understand this is the true value. Now, granted, we've all gotten an ad deal before. So that's kind of cool. I can promote that and maybe don't 100% use it. Mm-hmm. but you better have at least tried it. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to sell a car, that's a whole different deal. But if you're doing a direct response, usually you can try that product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, you're, if you're trying to sell Ford, well, that's a different type of an ad deal. That's, that's a brand deal. Right, right, which is totally different. Totally different. Uh- I have always sold 60 second ad reads. And the reason that I have sold 60 second ad reads is because we are selling host read ads and 99% of the time there needs to be a personal experience component. My feeling has always been, it's pretty difficult to create a really good ad read with personal experience that's less than 60 seconds. But it does seem like I am certainly reading that there are more and more 30 and 15 second ads out there. I I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that. I'm not opposed to 30 seconds, but man, that ad better be tight, right? And pretty yeah. succinct. What is your opinion about shorter ad reads? 60 seconds, that's all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because most uh, um, of them aren't even 60, right? Most well, of them are like no, I, 120. I, well, no, I think if you're if you're doing a good host read, and again, if you are really promoting that product, it's at least 60 seconds. I don't know how you can do it for 15. If you're doing it for 15, it's a read. It's not a host endorse. It's a read. Yeah. And I know some folks only want to take 30s. Well, again, would you rather, here's, okay, so you're not, probably podcasters aren't going to like this. Let's say it's a 30 second deal, but I do 60. Nothing says you can't, but 
my thing is I want that advertiser to say, wow, they really cared and they are going to come back and renew. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you have to go the extra mile and a lot of podcasters don't hear that. Now, depends on your ad load. If you're running five ads, then maybe you got to keep it to 30 seconds, but. But you shouldn't be running that many ads. I think that's another issue that we're having in the industry is that people are overloading their podcast. I talked to a show the other day. They are about a 40-minute show, and they legit wanted 12 ads. That's crazy. I was. I, that's what I said. I'm like, you guys don't even understand. Like, yeah. That's a really bad idea. It's bad. I, I have a 60 to 70-minute show on my tech show, and I do two. If I do three, I start to see the numbers go down. Audience numbers start to bail out, but I give them a full minute mm-hmm. on each ad. So, you know, 30-second pre, maybe. And a 60 second mid, if you really work it good, maybe a second, 60 second mid when you're at least an hour, but ooh, for each show's different. Each show can handle sure. a different amount, but you yeah. know, you look at grammar girl, quick and dirty tips, they got five minutes. They can only do one. Right. So it's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I think, I think listeners will say, uh, I'm out. Well, and I think that there's there's a couple of sets of consideration when you're talking about the quantity of ads in a podcast. So you have, you know, the audience to consider, right? And like mm-hmm. you said, if you overload your podcast, you might think to yourself, well, gosh, I'm maximizing my revenue, right? Like I'm going to get way more revenue in. But the reality is, is that when you lose listenership, you lose revenue. So right. it doesn't help your audience. It doesn't build trust with them because nobody wants that many ads. And then secondly, the advertisers don't get the results that they want. And even when we're partnering programmatic and host red, the reality is, is that essentially you would have to go entirely to programmatic because none of your host red ads are going to succeed. And then when none of them succeed, none of them are going to renew. So you're just really shooting yourself in the foot. But it's hard sometimes, I think, especially when shows have experienced some success. They're like, well, gosh, if you know, if three is good, then six is better. If six is good, then 12 is better. And it's like, gosh, no, no, no. Okay. Um, no we don't want to be radio, right? I mean, like how many of us are like, gosh, like. Well, that's that's the well, reason why podcasting, we didn't want to be radio. You right. know, it was like, and we didn't want to have ad loads that were like TV. I, I, I had, first time I watched commercial TV literally in like a year was this past weekend. And I was astounded. I'm like, how many ads Get to it. I mean, I paid seventeen ninety five to YouTube to have no ads or whatever each month. But this commercial TV set, I'm like, they're hurting. If they're running like five minutes of television ads before a show starts, this is insane. So you don't want to be, you know, you <laughs> at 30 seconds for me on a pre, I drop a mid about 10 minutes in. And then if there's another mid, it's, it's like at the three quarters mark. But that's yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Well, Todd, I know that we need to start wrapping it up. But before we do, I I have a couple last questions for you. So one of the things that I find really fascinating is that new people will enter the space and they often act like they are doing the podcast industry this big favor. They're coming to the industry. They're going to save us because we obviously just do not know what we're doing. And they're going to come in and they're going to save us. And one thing that you've told me before when we've been chatting is you're like, you're always like, oh yeah, yeah, 
we've tried that before. The industry's done this. The industry's <laughs> done that. And so do you see anything happening right now where you're like, oh yeah, we tried that five years ago and it didn't work. Or we tried that 10 years ago and it didn't work. Because I, I just find, I find that really fascinating that that does seem to happen again and again. So are there any trends you see where you're like, oh, I just think that's probably destined to fail based on history? You know, I had a hard conversation with an app developer yesterday. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we're getting a patent pending. I said, this has been done before. And they're like, who? And I gave the name. And they were astounded. I'm like, that might be trouble for your patent, number one. Um, but it's like, and I said, here's your here's your issue. You have to build volume. And I said, if, if Amazon can't get to 1%, are you going to be able to get to 1% with what you're doing? So it's like, don't like to, you know, tell someone their, their baby's ugly. And I wish everyone the best of luck, but sometimes I see stuff come through and I'm just like, oh yeah, here we go again. But I, I think right now there is a huge number of folks that were not successful in producing their own podcast. So they become podcast producers. So I would say if you're going to align yourself with a podcast producer, make sure you align one with somebody that's done or is managing successful shows and look at that, that, you know, look at their CV or look at their list of shows they're working with and pick the right partner as a new podcaster. But at least we're not in the phase right now where there's this huge influx of new consultants that kind of goes on a wave. I think we're at the bottom of that swoop right now. But because uh, we've seen several of that where people are all of a sudden you got this whole influx of new consultants and then they figure out, yeah, my show didn't succeed and I'm not going to see this consultant and they go do some other career. So just pick your partners wisely and mm -hmm. look at that background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really wise advice. And I see that again and again. I also think that I always recommend that podcasters think about what their end goals are oh, yeah. and what they're trying to create. Because if you're finding a partner that is really good at creating a very well-produced show, but that's where it ends, that's fine. And if that's the case, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you need to also just realize that you're going to have one piece of the pie. What about all the other pieces, right. right? What about monetization? What about audience growth? What about strategy and content? I mean, there's just so many different elements and you might pick one partner that's good at one thing, but if they're not good at all the things, then that isn't going to be helpful. And I think it's very common, in my opinion, for people to act like they can do everything, especially ad sales, when mm -hmm. actually they can't, right? right? Like right. they're not like oh yeah, maybe they're really good at creating a great podcast, but they're really not good at selling ads, right. you know? So it's just, I think it's really important for individuals to know, like you said, like check somebody's background, check their experience, see what they are getting themselves into. But And I um, think one thing that you said, and I don't want to make this run long, but if a podcaster has a goal for their show, if the goal is to build authority, monetize, the goal is use it as a funnel for your business. If your goal is just to hang out, have fun with your friends, know what that goal is. Mm -hmm. And if you know what that goal is, then as long as you realize that who you're talking to is actual humans, <laughs> you know, and you, you personalize that by imagining who is sitting in front of you as your, you know, basically if you, if you have a thousand listeners and you can visualize a thousand people and sitting in front of you, you take that a much, you take that as a much more serious approach to creating your content because 
it's one thing to see a number on a page that says I have a thousand viewers or listeners. It's been a whole different thing to visualize a thousand people sitting in front of you and you, you will respect their time a lot more and give them more value if you can visualize that group of people sitting in front of mm-hmm. you. I think Rob Walsh is the first person who I ever heard say that. And I thought that that was such a great way of looking at it because we do get so like fixated on the audience size and realistically audience size is important. Yes. Especially when we're talking about monetization, obviously we covered that earlier, but it does go back to your goals. And in most cases, I would say 99% of people, if they had 200 feet, 200 people sitting in front of them or even a hundred, like that would be a big number of people. It's a big and number. like, why do we act like it isn't something big? Now, does that mean we can sell a ton of ads on your show? No, but you can still accomplish other things. So. Unless you're a neurosurgeon and a and hundred people sitting yes. in front of you are the hundred top <laughs> neurosurgeons in the United States. So like, it's, right. it's, it's all about perspective. Yes, yes, <laughs> it is for sure. Um, well, Todd, it's been great having you on the show today. Thanks for, for coming on. And if folks want to connect with you, where is a good place for them to do that? It's real easy. Todd at Blueberry.com. Blueberry without the ease because we couldn't afford the ease or at Blueberry on Twitter. Our Instagram is Blueberry underscore podcasting. I'm personally at, at Geek News but Todd at Blueberry.com is the best way to reach out. But Heather, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. And thank you for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you logging on with us today. If you're interested in learning more about podcast advertising, you can head on over to truenativemedia.com. We have a guide to podcast advertising that you can download there. And we will catch you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 